Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Man, I'm excited. Uh, I'm really pumped about today's message. And so I'm, I'm going to try not to just talk about how much I'm excited to preach and actually just <laughs> preach, right? And just go into it. So. Um, Again, welcome to Grace Hill. We're really glad you're here. We finished up last week our series, um, It's Better, you know, uh, It Takes a Village, and we talked about the need for each other. We talked about the need for connection, and, and we really emphasized and pushed our, our connection groups, right, and the need to, to build one another, that we need real relationships, that, that we need accountability, we need discipleship, and then we need to be equipped to do the work that, that the Lord has called us to do, to reach the lost, to make disciples, right, that it's not an end result of being in a group and being discipled, but we are called to be disciples makers. And so we finished that up last week. We talked about that. This week, we just kind of have a, a standalone message. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching into a series on the vision of Grace Hill and where is God taking us as a church? Where is God leading us as a church? But just want to throw that plug out there a little bit. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to start preaching the vision in the direction of the church. So again, thank you for being here this morning. Let's go ahead and jump in this. I've titled this message, Peace in the Storm peace in the storm. I think that in our lives, there are significant moments and things that we remember forever and ever. And if we look at it as actual natural storms, there are storms that we remember. The earliest storm of significance that I remember would have been in 1993, in August of 93. So I was just turning eight that, that year. So if, if you're much older than that, I apologize if I'm, you know, you're like, he was only eight in 93? Yes. <laughs> I turned eight in 1993. So, but I remember in August of 93, a major storm that all of us probably remember that were alive at the moment, Hurricane Andrew hit in the summer of 93. And Hurricane Andrew was significant. At the time, it was the most devastating storm to hit Florida. Uh, it, was, it cost, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of, of like $20 billion or something of that nature. And I remember that storm. It was significant. Uh, it was major and, 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 and it did tons of damage and it was, it was awful, right? But then I also remember Hurricane Katrina, and, and Katrina is, is still the most uh, costly, you know, destructive storm in the history. It had $120 billion worth of damage done and tons of people displaced and, and people, uh, a lot of lives lost through the storm. It was major. It was significant. And I remember being uh, in Cedar Hill at the time, at going to a church called Trinity in Cedar Hill during that, that time and having tons of people moving from New Orleans into the Dallas area and just having this whole deal where we, we stopped that day and we prayed over all of the people that had moved from New Orleans to find refuge in Dallas uh, and in the Dallas area and just being just overwhelmed by the hundreds of people there that morning that had been displaced by the storm and going, this is, this is insane. You know, I remember that. But I remember both of those from a distance. None of those directly affected me. None of them directly affected my family or my home or the things that we had. So I, the storm that I think stands out the most because of my, my connection to it would be the tornadoes that hit Wiley, Texas on Mother's Day in 93. 
So I'm still eight years old. And I remember it was, it was Mother's Day specifically because we went out to lunch uh, that day. My dad wasn't gonna cook for my mom for Mother's Day, but he you know, wasn't gonna make her cook either. So we went to a restaurant and we were pastoring a church. I say we, my father was pastoring a church in Saxe, Texas, uh, you know, this, this huge metropolis that is Saxe, Texas. And, and we were pastoring there. And so we went to a restaurant in Wiley, Texas that day. And it was called Maria's. Maria's was a place that we visited all the time. It was a common spot for after Sunday, you know, church, you go to lunch, we'd go to Maria's. It was like the best Mexican food in, uh, in Wiley. It was phenomenal, right? It was so good. So we went all the time and it made sense to go there for Mother's Day. And now we knew there was a storm happening. And while we're eating dinner, the power goes out. And, and it'd been a major storm already and we're eating dinner and then it just goes dark. And I remember it just staying dark and the lights never coming back on. And we sat for a while and we hung out and we're like, well, we'll let the storm pass before we just decide to leave and go. And, and while we're sitting there, uh, you know, luckily in those days you could pay for things with a credit card and you didn't need electricity to make it happen. You just, you know what I mean? And so we paid for lunch uh, without power. And the guy was like, well, I can process this later because that's how you did it, right? Uh, he didn't have the mindset to go one day, you just swipe your card. Anyways. And so we, we had lunch and we leave and we knew that the storm was severe. We could watch out the windows, trees are whipping back and forth, shaking, uh, the, you feel the thunder and lightning just right overhead and the whole, the whole restaurant would shake and you felt it. We get outside and we get in the parking lot and I promise you we go no more than 100 yards to get to the highway, where, Highway 78, where the, the two tornadoes had just ripped right down the highway, missing the restaurant we were in by probably 100 yards. And when we get outside, building after building has been flattened. Roofs are pulled, you know, concrete roofs pulled off of, of gas stations, things thrown everywhere. There's fires and stuff because so much stuff had, had been destroyed. Cars turned over. Uh, we went that evening, I remember going home, we watched the weather for a little while, making sure that it had kind of settled and stabilized. And then I went with my father that evening because he was being a good pastor and checking on all of our people in our church that lived in Wiley. And I remember going from home to home, checking on family after family after family. Uh, and some who, uh, there was one house we went to and, and it was the closest to damage on the home that you've ever seen. It took off the front porch and left the home alone. I, I mean, it was crazy. It, we walked out, we got to the house and it was like, you know, and it was, it was a pier and beam. And so it was a substantial first step to get into the home without the front porch. And I remember going, whoa. And my dad goes, you guys, just missed, you know, it just missed really taking you out because if you go two homes over, gone. And just remember seeing the storm and, and how massive the damage was, even just from those two tornadoes coming through and seeing everything that happened. That was the closest I had been to experiencing a significant storm of hitting my home and my family. I've got, uh, I just did a wedding for a young couple a few weeks ago that uh, in 2016, the day after Christmas when the tornadoes hit Midlothian and they also hit in Rowlett, um, the young man, his family, their house was completely taken down to the slab and, and seeing the effects and the damage of the storm done. And now the home's rebuilt and, and they've got a more beautiful home than they had before. It's incredible how, how things work out. But we go through storms, right? And not all of them tend to be natural storms that affect our lives, but we go through storms, we have struggles, we have ups and we have downs in our lives. That, and, and oftentimes we uh, find ourselves uh, being focused on the damage and, and, and focused on what will the outcome be if this doesn't happen. Because storms affect us. Storms really can bring us up and bring us down, right? We, we can see the, the lasting effects of storms. 
There's a few things I want to talk about when we talk about storms is a lot of times we, we wonder, where, where, Jesus, where are you right now? God, where are you in the midst of my storm? Where are you when I'm struggling and I'm trying to make it out of this? Where are you when I'm walking through the worst moment in my life? Where is Jesus in my storm? Sometimes we're looking for peace. We're looking for the storm to be calmed. We're looking for the, the waves to be told to be quiet and to be still. And we go, Jesus, where are you in the midst of my storm? Let's do this today. Let's look at Matthew chapter eight, verse 23 through 27. And I think we'll find that the disciples are kind of experiencing some of the exact same thoughts and feelings that we often feel in our storms. And it says this in Matthew chapter eight, verse 23 through 27. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went, went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. As if to say, why aren't you doing anything right now? Right? That's kind of their thought. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Father, anoint my words today as we walk through this text. God, anoint my lips to speak what you would have me to say. God, so that the, the outcome that you want to happen today happens. Lord, anoint me for this moment. Speak through me during this time. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. What, what an incredible moment that must have been, right? You go and you're like, all right, Jesus, let's get on this boat. They had just had like this incredible high of ministry happening. Jesus is healing people left and right. Peter's mom has, you know, this fever. Jesus is like, no, I need somebody to wait on me while I'm here so you get well. And so he heals her. And then it says that Peter's mom gets up and starts like hosting them and waiting on them. And Jesus was like, glad I healed that one, right? You know, and then it says that, that everybody started bringing all of their sick to them and, and, and the demon possessed and, and God is, is setting the demon possessed for Jesus setting them free and then healing the sick. They've got this crazy, all awesome stuff going on. Great moment of ministry takes place. And then it says they get in the boat and they go and all of a sudden this crazy storm happens. I think the big thing that we need to take from today is this, that Jesus is sovereign in the good and the bad. Jesus is sovereign in the good and the bad. I think that's the most significant thing we can pull from this today in understanding that Jesus is sovereign in the good and the bad. The first thing we wanna talk about today is this, that storms come even though you follow Jesus. Storms come even though you follow Jesus. We were never promised you know, roses and dandelions as we walk down this path to Jesus for the rest of our life. We were never promised this, this life of, of, of overwhelming blessing and overwhelming peace and comfort as we went through storms come even though we follow Jesus. Look at verse 23. It says this, then he got into the boat. He is Jesus, right? And his disciples followed him. They followed him. They're going, wherever he's going, I'm going. Did you see what he just did? This is incredible. We're gonna follow this guy, right? So they follow him. And then verse 24 says, suddenly, suddenly. How many of you ever had one of those moments of suddenly, out of nowhere, unexpected, didn't see it coming? A furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Not only, did, not only was it a storm, this is a big storm. The waves are coming 
over the boat. And that's probably the moment when I would go, this isn't working for me. All right. Probably need to figure out a solution to this because this is not good. I remember just one time being out on the water in a deep sea fishing trip and a storm was coming and the waves got a little big and my little sister ended up in, in the bottom of the boat dry heaving. It was awful, right? I don't get that sick. I'm sorry if y'all do. And I just said dry heaving in a message and you're going, could have done without that. Thank you, right? So at that moment when the waves are crashing over, I go, yeah, we need to do something different because that is pretty rough. Those waters are not calm. And so if you understand or know a little bit about the Sea of Galilee, this is not uncommon, right? Just because of where it sits and the way the weather patterns move in things that area, storms can come up on the Sea of Galilee and this could happen pretty quickly, right? And things would come up. But Matthew uses a specific word here to describe the storm. He uses the word seismos, which would be actually the Greek word that translates directly to earthquake. Okay, but beyond that, you have to understand that this would typically be an apo- apocalyptic upheaval, right? Was what it would describe. So this is more of a uh, an attack. He's describing this as an attack from Satan. He's saying the devil has come after us and he's trying to take us down. This storm is not natural. This is beyond natural, outside of the realm of natural. The storm that is coming over the boat. And that's what we find in this text as we look at the, the terminology that Matthew is using. And so it's this, this apocalyptic type, like this is the end of the world as we know it, right? This is Armageddon, you know, before Armageddon kind of thing. Like this is awful, awful storm. And it just comes up out of nowhere. They've just had this incredible moment of ministry and they're hanging out with Jesus and all of a sudden, boom, the storm happens. And they're probably wondering why in the world are we walking through a storm right now? Why in this moment am I feeling this storm hit us? Why in this moment do I, do I have this, this feeling of the enemy is after me? The devil is trying to bring me down. Because you know, here's the reality. We were never promised smooth sailing all the way through just because we follow Jesus. Storms come even though we follow Jesus. Storms come even though we follow Jesus. Here's what I, understanding that Jesus is deity, right? He's God. So something tells me he knew that the storm was coming. He, he was aware that a storm was, was probably about to happen, and yet you find Jesus completely at peace, resting. I think sometimes God allows storms for certain reasons. In fact, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. He says, Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, if you just stop there with, with James, you realize he's not right all the way through all the time because you go, joy? Consider it joy when we face trials? James, I don't know what you, you find to be fun, but uh, trials aren't usually my idea of a good time. He says, consider it joy. And he goes on to explain it. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you see, sometimes God allows the storms because he knows that our faith needs to be tested a little bit to push us onto maturity, to push us into a deeper level of our faith, a deeper level of, of our walk with him. And he says, you know, count it all joy because the Lord is doing something greater in his wisdom than what we understand or see in the moment. 
See, in the wisdom of God, he goes, okay, we need to allow this storm to happen so that they walk through what they need to walk through to be made mature in the way that I need them to be made mature for a greater purpose beyond what they can see in the moment and what they can see right now. Lauren and I, for a short while, we lived in a pool house in Sherman, Texas. Uh, we lived with, uh, there was a man named Larry, and we were just taking youth, uh, the youth pastor position at a church up in Sherman, Texas. And, and his wife, Billy, Larry and Billy, they, they hosted us, and they said, hey, we have this really nice pool house you can stay in. It was awesome. Our front yard was this uh, saltwater pool, and we just acted like it was our front yard anyways. And he's like, man, feel free to swim whenever you guys want. And Lauren swam a couple times, and I never got in the pool. I'm not a, anyways. But I remember, you know, just loving living there. It was about a thousand square feet. It was bigger than the apartment we came from, right? We were like, hey, we've arrived. This is great. We have made it. We are in between homes at the time, trying to find the place that we were going to live in and where we were going to, you know, kind of settle down while we were there. And I remember one night, Lauren goes to get in the shower and found that the shower um, decided that it would be a good idea to let all the sewage back up through the base of the shower. So she goes to get in the shower and it's just not pleasant. And uh, it did not smell pleasant either. It was pretty rough, right? And so we go, oh great, what are we gonna do? Because here we are, guest in this pool house. They're letting us stay for free. And I'm about to have to call Larry to be like, hey Larry, uh, we got a problem and it's not a good one, right? Like there is such a thing as a good problem, right? And so I call Larry and I tell him, he says, hey Ryan, listen, I just got home, it's late. Can y'all manage through the night? Yep, because you know beggars can't be choosers. In that moment, I'm going, you got it. We can manage through the night. We make it through the night. We get up. We, we you know we get ready to the best of our ability, and we go to work. So that afternoon, Larry calls me and says, "Hey, can you give me a hand and let's fix this?" I said, "Sure. I'm living here for free. I'm more than happy to give you a hand to fix this." Luckily, Larry has a little bit of understanding about everything and, and had a, a general idea as to what the problem was and how to fix it. And so we, we go and we take this, this, this you know, little pipe finder thing that you stick in the ground and try to find where the pipe, find the pipe, figure out where it is, find the turn. And he goes, I bet you there's a build and it's clogged in this turn or whatever. So we find that and he digs it out and then he cuts the pipe open and it starts to fill up with everything it's backing up with. And uh, it's disgusting. So Larry finds this old coffee can and he's using it to scoop and toss, scoop and toss, scoop and toss. We'll just leave it at that. I'm not gonna get into details. You can, you can fill in the blanks, I guess. You're, you're capable. Um, and while we're doing this, this is an awful moment. This is a disgusting moment. I remember Larry just going, I count it all joy. I count it all joy when I face trials of many kind. And he was real Southern. And so he, he looked at me and he's like, Ryan, what's James say? And I was like, Count it all joy. Yep, we count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. And I mean, really, if you knew Larry, you'd be like, man, that's an incredible impression because I have to say I'm doing a great job right now. But I remember that moment and thinking, I've never seen anybody literally have that big of a smile as they walk through a trial and through a struggle. And he's saying, you know what? We're gonna be better because of this. And he kept saying things like that. And I'm like, man, you like really are living out the scripture right now in front of me. I am learning something from you. Here I am, the youth pastor, right? And I am, I am growing while watching this man, Larry, scoop out, we'll call it water, and <clears throat> something along those lines. And I remember him just saying the whole time, I count it all joy when I face trials of many kinds. 
and just say, and then, and then quiz me. Where's that found, Ryan? James? Yep, James. Count it all joy. But I remember thinking, man, what an incredible example of somebody looking at their situation, looking at the storm and saying, okay, I'm going to grow because of this. And in this moment, it was a chance for him really to grow in, in patience, right? Because he's got this young 20-something-year-old who has backed up his, all the sewage into his pool home, and now he's having to, to take time and do all this. You know, and you go, man, he really showed me something in there. So, so we were never promised a life without storms, a life without trials. We have to take the mindset that Jesus hasn't left us or forsaken us because we're going through the trial. Just maybe he's allowing the storm so that we can grow to become complete, not lacking anything. Um, how many of you know that as you walk through difficult situations that you become better before it on the other side? Then when you face something similar on the other end, you go, this is no big deal. We've made it through this before. We can make it through this again. It's that maturing process. It's that growing process where you go, God, I didn't understand why I went through it before. But now that as I see it on this side, I can understand why you allowed this storm, why you let me walk through this. Something that I've, I've learned is this, that storms reveal the level of our faith. And that's the second thing in your notes. Storms reveal our level of faith. They reveal our level of faith. They, they, they help us to see where we are. And so we jump back to the passage, Matthew 8, 26. He says, he replied, Jesus replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. He says, you of little faith, that's the Greek word. And I apologize if I use way too much Greek, listen, it intrigues me a lot. But it's the Greek word, um, oligopistos, oligopistos. Oligos, uh, not holy ghost. Oligos is the Greek word, uh, Anyways, we can get it. Oligos is, is the word for few in number, small in measure, little, small amount. But it has to do actually with a measurement, as if it's a measurable substance. And then pistos is the Greek word used for faith throughout scripture. But if you actually take the word pistos and go through and do a full word study, you find that it, it goes, boils down to persuasion being persuaded. And so think about this for a moment. You jump back in the earlier parts of Matthew chapter eight. They had just watched Jesus heal the sick and, and see the, the demon possessed, you know, freed from, from their, 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 the possession. And all this, they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle to this point. They've already seen the miracles of Jesus. And he's basically saying, have you not seen enough? Are you not persuaded as to who I really am? See, the storms reveal our level of faith. Um, Helps word study says it this way about the word oligopistos. It describes someone dull to the hearing or to dull to hearing the Lord's voice or disinterested in walking intimately with him. Think about that. These are the disciples of Jesus walking with him on a daily basis, step in step with him, side by side with him. And he's saying, you of little faith, why are you so disinterested in walking intimately with me, right? This is what he's saying to the disciples. He's saying, have you not seen enough to be persuaded as to who I say I am? Have you not seen enough to be persuaded to, to believe that I am capable of managing through this storm? See, ultimately, the storm reveals our level of faith. I would say Jesus was probably a little disappointed in the moment because he kind of 
firmly addresses the situation. And I imagine that at that point, he turns to the storm and it isn't like a calm, like, all right, all right, settle down, settle down. So it says that he rebukes the storm. And I think it's some of that was probably a boil over from the frustration Jesus had with the disciples, right? He's like, you woke me up from my nap for this. Where is your faith at? And he turns to the storm and it's like, stop it. And then he just calms down, right? And then I, I almost wonder, like, did Jesus say, now leave me alone. I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap, right? It doesn't say that, but it's just, you have to, sometimes you have to read into the text, the missing. <laughs> maybe you don't, maybe you don't, maybe you shouldn't, right? But I feel like some of his, his rebuking was, was a spillover of his frustration with the disciples. Like, you walk closest to me. I could pull some average Joe off and they'd be like, well, isn't Jesus on the boat? Isn't, aren't you going to be all right? And the disciples over here panicking and freaking out. And he's like, you of little faith, you of little faith. I think I, re- I remember a time when I felt like God had the same conversation with me. Those aren't fun conversations. Those aren't fun moments where you feel like God is going, come on. Have I not done enough for you already to see you through this, to give you the faith to believe that I will bring you out of this? I remember when Lauren and I, we were newlyweds and uh, we, we started out and we thought we were doing okay. Lauren had a good job. Um, I like to say that she was my, my sugar mama in those days because she made more money than I did. But when you're an associate youth pastor, like we've discussed, you're on the bottom of the bottom and Lauren was not. Lauren had worked her way up in the company she was working at and was doing well. And we took a step of faith because we felt clearly that the Lord had spoke to us and told Lauren to resign her job so she could give more time to the church in the ministry that we were involved in. And that was a big step of faith because it was more than uh, half of our income, uh, obviously, because she made more than me and we were going down to my income. And we had saved some money. uh, And and to us at the time, it was a substantial amount. And we go, okay, we can make it uh, because we have this. And then the Lord's going to open the right job opportunity. And and then all will be well. It'll be smooth sailing. So we step away. You know, she steps away. She resigns. She quits. And then she's home. And she's coming to the church with me. And we're working. And and we think we have this planned out. You know, we've got it figured out. Lauren is going to end up getting an assistant position to our young adults pastor. And it's going to make up the income that we need. And all is going to be well. The problem with that was it required zero faith on my part. It required zero faith from Lauren and I. Because we had it planned out. We had it figured out. We knew exactly how much money we had in the bank. We knew how long we could last on my income with our savings. And then then this job was going to open up that literally we were trying to force make happen. It was around budget planning time. And I was talking to the young adults pastor and I was like, hey, Lauren would love to help me. He's like, man, she's awesome. So he started trying to figure it out in his budget. How can he pay Lauren out of his annual budget. The problem was we were young and none of us were thinking that, oh yeah, there's still taxes that have to be paid out of that. There are are certain requirements that have to be done, you know, all these different things. So we see it as a certain amount on paper and the church goes, yeah, but you didn't add in this, 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 and this. No. And in that moment I go, oh Lord, help me. And I remember thinking, this can't happen now. We're in trouble. We're in major trouble. We had gone through our savings Rent was coming due, and we didn't have the money, and apparently we didn't have the faith either. I remember thinking it's due the next day, and we took, in those days, the church I was at, our day off was Monday, so every pastor was out of the office on Monday, so I'm home, and I spend time in prayer, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to do, and I was too much of a man to be like, I'm going to call my dad, right, and I got in trouble for that later, but 
from my dad. He was like, he was like, I'm here. Let me help you. And I'm like, no, dad, I can do this. And I couldn't, but I had it in my mind that, that I could. So the next morning was Tuesday. And in that particular morning, we did what we called all church staff meeting. And that was um, all church staff. So anybody who was paid staff, their spouses, um, anybody who was uh, leadership staff. And so we would do it all together on that one Sunday, on that one Tuesday of the month. I remember we're walking in that morning and, and one of the pastors came up to me and said, hey, man, I was praying this morning and I felt like God told me to give you this. And he handed me a $50 bill. And I remember going, we, okay, we have groceries. Because when there's only two of you, you could spend like 75 bucks and you have groceries for like a week and a half. Uh, plus at the time, I think I weighed about 128 pounds. I wasn't exactly eating a lot. And when I say I think I weighed, I know I weighed 128 pounds. Uh, I looked quite sickly then. So. so I was thinking, man, wow, God, you came through. And so then our pastor comes to us afterwards, which is not always a fun experience because, you know, that could end in being fired and then we could really be in trouble. And he says, hey, I was praying this morning and Haley and I, his wife, he said, we want to take you to lunch today. And I was like, groceries and lunch. This is a great day. Again, the measurement of my faith was quite small. And we go and we sit down. And while we're sitting at lunch, he looks across the table at us with their three-year-old daughter sitting on our side, bouncing and playing and climbing on us and whatnot. And he says to us, how much is your rent? And I go, what? How much is your rent? So I tell him, and it wasn't a lot. You know, if I told you, you'd go, you couldn't come up with that? (laughs) It was tight, all right? Money was tight. (laughs) And he said, Haley and I were praying this morning and I feel like we're supposed to pay three months rent. And I'm like, so of course, Lauren starts crying and and I try to play tough. Like, I'm not affected. I'm just like, thank you. You know, trying to hold it together. And then continuing, you ready? You want to see the continued measurement of my faith. So the next day, rent was due. So I go to the office. They didn't pay me any money. He said, what is your rent? And, and they said, okay. So they go, and it didn't give me the money. And so I go, again, still a little faith. And I show up to the office and I was like, um, I need to pay my rent. And, um, and the guy goes, yeah, what's your apartment number? And I tell him and he pulls it up and he goes, um, you actually have enough money in your account to cover the next two months. And I was like, oh, Okay, and he's like, who does that? And I go, I had a friend uh, pay three months. And the guy was like, I need friends like that. And I was like, yeah. And I remember leaving and feeling like God just reprimanding me. Like, did I not make a way for you in this moment? Did I not tell you point blank? Did they not say they were gonna do this? And yet you still did not believe me in the moment you had to go and see it for yourself in order to believe it would happen. The same thing with the disciples. Here they are on the boat. They had just watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle. They get on the boat. The storm comes. Jesus is sleeping and they're going, oh, we're not going to make it. He's asleep. We can't do this. And Jesus wakes up and he says, you have little faith. I wonder if he's thinking, did you not just see miracle after miracle after miracle? Is that not enough for you to believe that I am capable even when you don't see me moving or working to take care of you? And if I'm a disciple, I feel about this big in that moment and go, you're right, you're right. The storms reveal the level of our faith. 
on the flip side of that, I've seen people that, that walk into a storm head on and they know that this is gonna be a terrible, awful thing that they're about to walk through and they go, but God is with me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And it's that moment of, even if I don't feel the Lord in this moment, even if I don't feel him close to me in this moment, I know that he is still sovereign. He is still in control. And it still sits in the palm of his hand because I have given it to him. And you see those people and you go, mind blown, I want your faith. So sometimes he allows a storm so that our faith can increase and be built up so that as it's revealed to us, we can then grow and in turn trust him deeper and trust him greater. Because even in the midst of the storms, Jesus is sovereign. He's sovereign. The last thing today is this, storms are no match for the sovereignty of Jesus. They are no match for the sovereignty of Jesus. Let's look back at, at the text one more time, starting in verse 23 in Matthew 8. It says, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, again, suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Did you pick up on that last statement? They said, what kind of man is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. I think it was for a moment that realization that they're not dealing with an ordinary man. They're not dealing with just another prophet. They're not dealing with just another rabbi or teacher that is going to lead them in a way of righteousness and in a greater way of living. All of a the sudden there's this realization of this is not a normal person. There is something different about this man. That even in this storm, that the wind and the waves obey his command that he speaks and the storm responds. Jesus is sovereign in the good and the bad. So often as we read this story, the whole focus is on Jesus saying to the storm, you know, he rebukes it and the wind and the waves die down and it's calm. And, and we focus heavily on the fact that, that Jesus brings peace in the storm. And yes, that is a, an, an accurate and good application to this text. And we're gonna get there, I promise you that. But I think so often we forget and neglect the fact that, that the word here that, that Matthew is really trying to express in the moment is that Jesus is sovereign, that he's sovereign, that he is God, that he controls all things, that, that he, they are in his hands. And we overlook that oftentimes just in, in, in the search of peace. But, but what we find is that is that Jesus knows the outcome. He knows where it should go and how it should happen because he has an ultimate plan in mind for your life, for my life, for every one of us. And even then, things don't always go according to our plan and we have to trust in the sovereignty of Jesus. Horatio G. Spafford was a successful lawyer and, and businessman in Chicago. And many of you have probably heard this story, but I think it best illustrates what we're talking about. He was a successful businessman and, and, and had, had seen incredible things happen in his business in Chicago. That, but with, in that, he, was, he loved Jesus. He followed the Lord deeply, but still trials came to his life. There were still significant ups and downs. 
1871, their, their young son died with pneumonia. Uh, and in that same year, much of their business was lost to the great fire of Chicago. And yet, the business turned and began to flourish yet again. Uh, in November of 1873, there's a French ocean liner that was crossing the Atlantic to the, from the US to Europe. It was 313 passengers on board. Mr. Spafford was supposed to go, but because of a business issue, decided to stay back and catch another later boat to be with his family in Europe. On that boat, though, was his wife and four children. Four daughters, actually. About four days into crossing the Atlantic, the, the, the ship collided uh, with an iron-hulled Scottish ship. And suddenly, all of those on board were in grave danger. As the story goes, his wife, Anne, grabs all four of the girls and runs out to the deck of the boat and begins to pray and begin to say, God, if it's your will, save us. If it's not, give us the strength to walk through what we're about to endure. First of all, that prayer in and of itself is just mind-blowing faith as it is to say, God, if it's your will, save us. If it's not, give us the strength to endure. Shortly thereafter, the boat starts to go under 226 of the passengers, including the four daughters, died. Miss Spafford was saved. She was found uh, alive and, and pulled in into a boat and then carried on the rest of the way to Europe. And, and she sends a message back to her husband. And he says this, saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford later took that telegram and framed it and put it in his office. He then gets on the next boat out to be with his, his now mourning wife while he himself is mourning. And, and while crossing the Atlantic, the captain of the ship that he was on pulled him in to tell him at the exact moment where the ship went down, knowing his story, knowing where his daughters had just passed away. And in that, in that moment, he pinned the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. You want to talk about going through a storm, going through a struggle, going through a difficult moment. The man lost four daughters in an instant, almost lost his wife. And in the exact moment where he lost him, we're in the exact spot, in the exact place, he's able to say, it is well with my soul. Understanding the sovereignty of Jesus in the good and the bad, and through that, realizing and finding the peace like a river that attendeth his way. The peace like a river that comes and soothes. The peace like a river that allows there to be that overwhelming sense of it's gonna be okay. When sorrows like sea billows roll. When the storms become so great. When they become so strong that they overwhelm us. There is still that peace. And we can say, it is well with my soul. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
this peace that, that goes beyond our realm of thinking, our realm of reasoning, our realm of understanding. It transcends human thought process. It's found in Christ Jesus, recognizing the, 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 the sovereignty of Jesus, the part of, uh, part of an aspect of Jesus that we don't always understand what he's doing and what he's up to, but he is sovereign. Ultimately, his wisdom is greater than ours. His thoughts are greater than ours. Things happen and things take place that we can't understand. We can't put our finger on it and say, oh, I know why you did this, God. I know why you allowed this storm. I know why you are allowing these things to happen. We don't always get it, and that's okay but understanding and realizing that Jesus is sovereign even in the moment of the storm. And out of his sovereign nature comes a peace that is overwhelming. That at the mention of the word, when Jesus says, peace, be still, there is a calm. There is a calm. That word peace meaning, meaning the freedom from anguish, freedom from fear, freedom from, there's peace. There's peace out of the sovereign nature of Jesus. I wish I could tell you this morning that I understand and know why every storm happens and why we face difficulties and why, why bad things happen to good people. I can't. I can't explain that. At the end of the day, we have to recognize simply that Jesus is sovereign in the good and the bad and that we lean on him and through his sovereign nature comes the peace of God that can only be found in Christ Jesus. I'll invite the worship team to join me. I know this, this morning that there are people in this room, very, very clearly, there are people in this room that have struggles, that have difficulties, that, that have walked through things, and maybe you're walking through them now. And it doesn't make sense. And you can ask God, why? Why? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? Why, why do I have to carry this in this moment? And we don't have the answers. And we may never have the answers, but we can trust in the fact that Jesus is sovereign. And his care for us is greater than our care for ourselves. His love for us is greater than our love for ourselves. So we can trust in the fact that, that it, it, was, it was done for our good. That we can count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds, even though the trials are not joyful. Even though the trials are a struggle. But in the sovereign nature of Jesus, we can find peace. We can find peace in Jesus. The mention of one word the breath of a statement from Jesus. There's peace. Overwhelming peace. It transcends our understanding. It goes beyond our realm of reasoning. Beyond our realm of thinking. One of the things I love about that verse in Philippians 4, 7 is that it says it, it, it guards your heart and your minds. How many of you know that sometimes we need the peace of Jesus to protect us from our own thoughts? That sometimes we overthink things, that we overanalyze, that we over, over try to, to prescribe and, and define what the issue is and, and, and a way to, to solve the problem in Jesus. And whoa, 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 let my peace protect you from where you're going with this. And guard your heart. He's saying, I'm not letting your thoughts settle. I'm not gonna let your thoughts settle in your heart. 
and change your thought and who you think I am or who you think you are, but, but, but I'm gonna let my peace overwhelm. Let my peace just overwhelm. My peace like a river. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.